I am your host, Raquel Ark, an American podcasting from Germany, and this is Listen In. Join this series of conversations with inspiring scientists, leaders, and authors about listening as a surprising superpower that is not always as easy as it seems. Believe me, I know, and I've been learning and will continue to learn, and I hope that this podcast will help you find practical ways to help others listen better while you become better at leading people, catalyzing collaboration, transforming conflict, building trust and engagement. And I'll tell you, when really good listening happens, then the entire group, including you, can feel energized and inspired. So sit back and enjoy listening beyond what we typically think of. When the stakes are high in the fast-paced tech world, how can we listen? Katrina O'Sullivan, executive coach and leadership consultant, shares her wisdom and experience as former head of executive development at Google. In this episode, she shares practical insight on listening that you can use right away. She talks about the importance of investing in listening and how to invest so that you can make collaboration more effective while producing results and saving time in the long run. Our conversation was a lot of fun, and you will learn ways to listen that may surprise you. This is Raquel Ark. Enjoy listening in. Just to get started, even though I'd like to ask a little bit about you in a little bit, but first, just to get started, and part of the reason why I'm doing this is because I'm really curious about listening and discovering how people are integrating listening into the work or what they're doing. And so maybe you can tell me a little bit about um, when you started to become aware of listening and also how you are experiencing listening. Yeah, I think I became aware of it when I, at the beginning of my career, I was working in sales and listening is part of every sales training, right? You need to listen for what the customer wants. You need to listen for what the customer needs. So I think that was the first time that I was formally introduced to the importance of listening. And then as I kind of grew in my career and as I took on my first manager role, part of every manager training is listening, right? You need to listen for your employees, what they want, what they need. And then as I continue to grow, you know, even in senior leader training, it's all about listening. So it's really interesting how listening has a part in every management or leadership or job skills curriculum, but we're not doing it well. <laughs> so there's a huge, Why is that? Yeah, exactly. There's this huge knowing doing gap. And I think our brain honestly works against us. <laughs> you know, the way the brain is wired, I think, especially when the stakes are high, it's harder to stay present and listen really well. Yeah, because this thing like... We know we should listen, but it's this thing that's over here. And we always know who's not listening. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but who's listening? <laughs> yeah, it's always the others, right? Yeah. It's always the others who have to go to listening training because they don't listen to me. <laughs> but I'm just curious, in the listening trainings that you're talking about, what type of listening did they focus on? Because there's so many different types of listening. What was the main focus? You don't have to go into detail, but just... Well, I mean... I think there's definitely listening for fact, get your facts right, and then listening for need, listening for moods or emotions, listening, you know, in order to solve a problem, 
listening to learn. There's lots of different levels. And I think, you know, the more it comes to a place where it makes us the communicator, the, the person who's the listener, as it doesn't really matter whether it's the speaker or the listener, but it comes to a level where it requires a certain degree of vulnerability that's when it gets really hard. And what I mean by that that is, let me try if I can think of an example. So for example, in the tech industry where I work, a lot of the hierarchies are very flat. So there isn't often a clear decision maker. So when you have a new idea, you know, that you're hoping that other people may help you implement, the way you get by having your story really straight, having your facts right, and just delivering a very convincing argument, right? So it's about telling a story, about yeah. persuading so, others. Exactly. So I go into this meeting and I know, you know, there's a bunch of my peers and a bunch of my superiors and they will make a joint decision, right? So I need to get it right. So I deliver my pitch for whatever I want or what I want to implement. And I believe in it, right? Like I've worked on it. I'm passionate about it. I think it's the right thing to do for the company. And then somebody at the end of my pitch asks me a question and maybe they're just looking for additional information, but I'm already seeing it as a threat to my pitch, right? And that's when it's really easy then to shut down and not listen, right? Because if I listen, if the person comes from a place of curiosity and I come from a place of defense, I'm shut, I'm, you know, chances are, and I have done that, you know, I'm not a perfect listener, I'm shutting others down, and that's not going to serve me, right? Whereas if I can engage in a meaningful dialogue by becoming really present and really listening to what the other uh, person, not only what they have to say, but also where they're coming from, right? So if I can learn to put myself in their shoes, we can have a more meaningful exchange. And at some level, that may change my pitch or how I think about the situation or how I think about the solution. But given we live in a complex environment, it may get us to a better solution, right? But I need to learn to let go of my own agenda so much that I can get the necessary input from others to see what I can learn. That's tough. And that's really tough. And that's what I, when I earlier said, you know, our brain is wired against listening. That's what I meant, right? Our brain is wired for, you know, for protection, which makes a lot of sense, right? And, you know, there's also a certain type of, let's call it cognitive rigidity that's going on there. And that's not helping with really great listening. Yeah. And, and I was just thinking that a lot of times the way these, even um, what we learn in school and the way that these training programs develop our skills are more so that there is this probably protective measure, this, this aspect of being completely present and open and curious. Yeah, I mean, what I found in, in, in a lot of the listening trainings that I've both attended and also taught, frankly, a lot of it <laughs> is about the what and the how. So what is listening and how do I listen? You know, and that's important. And I think there's a, a really important piece missing, and that's the who, right? Who am I in this? Who am I as the listener? How do I want to show up? What's going on inside my own system, right? That may prevent me from being fully present or that may prevent me from listening really well and keeping an open mind. I think we're very focused on, you know, the, the kind of the traditional tools of asking questions and paraphrasing and reframing and whatever else it is, summarizing, Mm -hmm. But what about managing my own anxiety? What about 
taking a deep breath and appreciating what's coming from the other person rather than seeing it as a threat, etc. And when, well, you have this other perspective listening. So you're listening, even though you've also done lots of training in the more traditional type of uh, listening training. And um, now you're talking about some other ways of listening to really support listening happening. Yeah. I mean, I honestly, I think if I'm in a room with someone and this other person really gives me the gift of their presence and really listens well, I actually get smarter. Like I get better. If somebody really listens to me, I'm on top of my game. And imagine what would be possible from here. Yeah. Like an, an exchange where people, maybe two people, but maybe even a whole meeting room full of people is fully present, fully open, totally curious, right? So that there's like a, rather than this, like everybody is always afraid of, of Q&A, question and answers at the end of a presentation, right? That's the, the thing that everybody is most afraid of. When people say they have a fear of presenting, I think the biggest fear is at the end of the presentation when the unknowns come, the questions, right? Mm -hmm. If we can get to a place where that fear gets maybe not eliminated because that's probably not possible, but where we create a holding environment through our presence for the presenter, by really listening, I think it would enable so much more growth, so much more solutions that actually work, so much more or so much less conflict, so much more engagement and work satisfaction. And it's not really that hard. It is hard to do and it's not hard to do. You know, that's the paradox here. <laughs> yeah, I've, I don't know how often I've, I've heard people like after they just try out some of these little simple things, afterwards they come back, they're like, that really had a big impact and it was so simple. <laughs> yeah, you know what baffles me in this whole field of, of leadership development that I'm working in, everyone's looking for the perfect model, for the perfect tool, for the perfect silver bullet when really we have it all, we have it all. It's our presence, it's how we show up, it's how we can meaningfully engage with others. And that's a practice. It's a practice, right? That we don't practice because we're too busy. We're too busy rushing around. We're too busy, you know, trying to get a glimpse of our email while we're also trying to have a, an exchange with somebody else, right? And that doesn't work very well. So have you found some, some ways that has helped you to be more present, to be more engaged? Yeah, I mean, what's helped me, first of all, is kind of looking at the, the science and the research that this stuff actually really works, right? I mean, because it's a time investment, because like really learning to get present, I think you do need, even if it's just five minutes a day, but you need to put in some sort of practice every day. And that could just be five minutes of silence, or five minutes of really attentively listening, or five minutes of, or maybe just checking in once every hour and becoming aware of your mood, of your body, you know, just so that you learn to be with yourself. And especially, you know, in, 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 a, in a world of, of complexity and ambiguity that a lot of our leaders are facing these days, Man, it, learning to be with your internal anxiety that the ambiguity causes. So, so what has helped me is, is just having an awareness that it's normal. <laughs> it's normal to be nervous about not knowing. Yeah. It's normal to feel like 
I'm not good enough for my job, right? Because everybody has this kind of imposter syndrome going on at some level. And that in itself has already helped me release. You know, becoming aware is helping release a certain degree of, I don't know if anxiety is the right word or distracting energy or whatever you want to call it. So becoming aware, paying attention, ideally, you know, cultivating some sort of introspective, you know, contemplative practice is super helpful. And, you know, what the research about there is this, this aspect of really paying attention to ourselves mm-hmm. and becoming more connected to ourselves. So listening to ourselves, and that's a first step towards being able to listen to others. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, I mean, if you, you know, if, if you close your eyes for one minute and you just try to not think of anything, you will realize how many thoughts are actually going around in your head, right? It's noisy up there. <laughs> there is a lot going on up there, you know, and, and becoming aware of that, like lis- listening for what's going on. And you start listening to the noise in your head. Or I mean, I speak for myself, you know, I, I, I hear what's going on. And then if I give it some silence and some grounding, it starts settling. And then from that place of more stillness, you can listen for other things that are super enlightening, you know? That's when, you know, things that are really important in, in your life come up, you know? The things that, the, the, the constant churn of busyness in our daily, daily lives doesn't, can't surface because there's such a swirl of activity. So yes, listening to self. And I think it, listening to self starts with, noticing how much is actually going on. So that can be a little bit off-putting. But my advice would be to to stay with it and breathe through it and see what's coming once the thoughts start to settle. And that can even happen in a meeting. Oh, yeah. 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 Because sometimes people think of that as being at home and quiet and, oh, I don't have time for that. But um, even in a meeting or before you walk into a meeting, noticing what's... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it gets easy, it's easier to, to do that in a meeting when you actually practice it on your own, yeah. right? It's a practice. And I mean, there's no harm in trying. Well, I was uh, joking around with, some, with a group of people. I'm like, you can experiment and play with this kind of things. Um, and nobody knows you're doing it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <Nobody's helping you. laughs> yeah. and, and honestly, I mean, if you, if you sit in a one-hour meeting, how much of that time do you, are you actually in the meeting and how much of that time are your thoughts drifting right so rather than drifting if you can get yourself really present because you know when you drift you're not really gaining anything either whereas when you when you learn to get present you, you're gaining a lot you're gaining a lot more grounding it's it, it's managed it's really helps you manage your energy as well and it just creates a better environment where where just better results happen. I mean, I, I know that for a fact because I've seen this. I've seen this in, in meetings where we actually really experimented with everyone getting present at the beginning and then what happens to the meeting. And it's a totally different energy. And what did you notice? So there was an energy of, of more calm and peace. You know, the frantic, constant, I don't know, nervous energy that's, in our boardrooms every day, right? I don't, you may not even notice that, 
you know, because you're so in it, you're so steeped in it. That's what's, that's what's kind of sometimes hard to explain to somebody who is new to this practice. But once you develop a certain sen- you know, sensitivity for different types of energy, you will notice that we do constantly run on a current of frantic busyness. Let, let me call it that. Okay. And then, yeah, so to come back to your question, so in that meeting, that settled. What was it that you did with the group so that they could get grounded? Or what did, what did you do? Yeah. So with that group, we just, and, and this, this is in, you know, Google, the company that I used to work in, where they do have mindfulness classes and things like that. So it's not completely out there. Right. You know, it's yeah. more in the culture. So I just want to say that, right? But we did like just a five-minute guided breathing exercise. It doesn't mean that people have to sit there and close their eyes. You know, that's, that's not a requirement if people are not comfortable doing that. But it's really about becoming aware of your breath and grounding yourself. And five minutes is a long time when you really pay attention. So a lot can settle in five minutes. And so you did that with the group and then it shift, Then all of a sudden it was a calmer energy, not this frantic yeah. busyness. And yeah. it shifted to a more calm and, yeah, yeah. More, more, more supportive, more focused, mm-hmm. and I would also say more creative, actually. Mm-hmm. I think if we can allow the, you know, the, the exhaustion or the busyness to settle, there's more energy freed up for, you know, for work that may allow us to be more creative. And then that's where you talked about the results, then you get results from that time together. Yeah, I mean, when I, say, when I say about results, I mean, I don't, you know, like from a one hour meeting, you're probably not going to immediately affect the bottom line. But what you do is you get, you get away with more buy-in, I would say. So, you know, at the end of the meeting, when you, when you agree on action steps and you already know half the room, yes, they sign off on them, but they're not really in it. They're not really bought into it. Whereas if you, if you work from a place where people are really present, and where they're also encouraged and empowered to voice dissent, you know, if they don't agree, right? At least, you know, here are the people that are fully bought in and here are the people who aren't. And then at least, you know, what you, what you can work with, right? right. <laughs> Whereas if everybody just happily agrees, which frankly in corporate culture just happens, right? When people are done fighting, they just give up and then they just say, yeah, 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 I'll do it. And, and it doesn't get done. And then, you, you know, three months later, we're starting again. Okay, what are we solving for today? Oh, it's the same problem that I thought we had solved three months ago. And then people are back That's into the, the pattern and exhausted yeah. and uh. Yeah. <laughs> nice. And I think, you know, it's, it's also the, the question, what are we solving for is also a very interesting question. So I, I, I just bring it up because I hear it all the time. So it's like, in, you know, in tech, we solve problems, right? That's what we get paid for. That's what we're known for. But I do think that the, the question, what are we solving for, is actually already really limiting. So what question would you like to ask? I mean, ideally, I would like to ask what wants to happen, <laughs> but that's a little out there. I typically ask, okay, what's the opportunity here? Before we even get into solving, what's the opportunity here for us to work on? You know, just to get it into a more... I, I like to open the field rather than close it. Mm-hmm. And solving a problem is already closing it. Of course, sometimes in crisis or if the discovery has already been done, there is also a time for problem solving. I'm not saying don't problem solve, right? By all means, that's not my message. However, 
are we really listening to what the problem is trying to tell us, especially if the problem keeps resurfacing, <laughs> right? Yeah, if it keeps coming up, maybe there's something else exactly. that we need to pay attention to. Exactly, absolutely. Is there something else that you notice that comes up often that uh, people ask you about or something that you hear often that you also would like to think would be nice to approach it from a different perspective? So many things. <laughs> I think there's something about assumptions. You know, tell me about tell me about and, assumptions. And this, I mean, I think this goes really nicely with listening, right? Like turning assumptions into reality. Like you know, especially now in my in my role as an executive coach, when I work with clients, and I work with clients on, let's say, you know, some people are really difficult to work with. How do I work better with uh, with others? Often comes up, right? In in an environment where nothing gets done without the help of others, right? Like the time of command and control is over. The only way you can work these days is through and with others. So, but others are difficult. People are difficult, right? And if my assumption is automatically, you know, that this person that I'm having a conflict with is up to no good or mean or not up to their job, you know, these are all assumptions. So I'm creating, I'm creating this reality around this person that's difficult. And it may or may not be, there's, what is really exactly. true? Exactly. What is really true? And the problem with the, the truth is it's never the whole truth, right? Because it's only the piece of the truth that I'm seeing. So I need to, again, open the awareness to what else is there that I'm not seeing. And one way of doing that is really questioning your assumptions. And one way you can question your assumptions is ask some questions and then really listen to the answers without your own filter, yeah. which is hard. I mean, that's probably not possible, but at least with a little bit of a broader filter than what you would normally listen with, right? You know, sometimes I wonder if uh, sometimes before, you know, meeting someone, actually writing down what you assume beforehand, just to get it on paper, because sometimes you read it on paper, it makes it more real. <laughs> That's interesting. And then test the assumption. And then test it afterwards. And then go in with, yeah. uh, with curiosity, with an openness, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so that you don't have to worry about forgetting what you want to think yeah. about this person yeah. <laughs> because it's on paper. So yeah. the brain can well, let it go for yeah. a few minutes. It can t get it back and then going in and, and see yeah. and be curious about that and see if there's anything yeah. else there. Yeah. What works really well is... And I've learned this for myself and I'm now also, you know, sharing this with my clients when I, when I get into attack mode, right? So when I sense now I have to attack now I have to, or maybe even defend, like either defend or attack both. Like when I notice the situation is going to get tense and I feel this, right? Everybody feels it somewhere yeah. in their system, right? In their system, physically, um, like your yeah, shoulders, physically, like your yeah. belly's funny. Exactly. Exactly. Once once I feel this, I've, I've rewired myself. I'm not always perfect at it, but uh, to, to just get curious. So rather than, you know, either defending or attacking, I'll ask. I'll ask questions, right? And it's so disarming. Like, it, it's, it's amazing. It's helping me with my anxiety. It's helping others getting a word in because probably probably the reason why I, I feel the need to defend or to attack is because I didn't give them enough room in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. So it's it's really interesting. I have a I just worked with a client yesterday actually, a coaching client, and he 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 was about to go into this meeting right after our coaching session. And he told me, you know, 
I'm really nervous about this meeting. I have to convince this guy about something and he's not going to like it. But if I don't convince him, my boss won't be happy. So how am I going to convince this guy? And I said to him, just get really curious. Just try to understand where this guy is coming from. That's all you do. So don't go in trying to convince him. Go in trying to learn. And he did. And afterwards, he sent me an email and he said, oh, my goodness, I realized that we actually both want the same thing. Well, that's interesting. We just, we just have different ways of going about it. Yeah. But the end, you know, and, and that's and, and that happens all the time. And that's but the we don't thing going with how versus, you know, because that was the how to get it done or getting it yeah. done. And they do both want the same. But the end result, they both want the same thing. It's just yeah. it's a little different. Yeah, yeah. And of course, sometimes it's not that easy. You know, sometimes people really want different things. And, and then, you know, then it's, I think then it's, it really comes down to values, right? I mean, in the absence of a clear decision maker, I would hope that the value is what's best for the company. Right. <laughs> rather than what's best for my team. But I don't oversee that, right? And that's when it gets tricky. And it's interesting. Now, let's, let's look at that. You know, so are we actually listening to the value in what's being said? What are the values there? And how yeah. you know, are, do we have the value of the company in mind? You know, just to even listen, yeah. to does this idea or what we want to do, does it fit with that? And does it connect yeah. with that? Yeah, and that's also, you know, talking about values, there's a really neat exercise about you know, typically when we listen to people, we listen for information, right? We listen for facts. But you can also listen for emotions and you can also listen for values. So what I sometimes do, I get people to work in threes and I have one person talk. So I give, give them like a three minute monologue to talk about anything that they're excited about. And then I ask the, the two other people, the listeners, I ask one person to just listen for emotions and I ask another person to listen for values. And then I ask them at the end, I ask the two of them to play back what they heard. And what happens? It's really enlightening for the listener because sometimes, you know, sometimes somebody may be super passionate about something. The listener may hear it as aggression. He may say something like, you know, you, so you sounded a little bit aggressive there. That's the emotion that I felt, mm -hmm. right? And the, the, the speaker goes, oh, I thought I was passionate. So that it's, it's an eye opener to see how you come across. Right. Yeah. But what's even more, I think what's even more enlightening is the, the values thing, because sometimes people say, I never knew I had this value. But of course, if somebody talks about something that they're passionate about, a lot of values come up. So yeah, a lot of information there. Yeah. And it's hard, right? Because we, we can only process so and so much. But I do think, especially when you work with people who you want to collaborate with, but you're having a hard time collaborating, listening for values could really help because you can have a conversation on a whole different level once you learn to exchange your values. And what I think is interesting about this experience also is that people start to realize that there are different ways to listen. Yes. And that there's, that we can choose to listen in different ways. Yes. Yeah. And when we choose consciously how we want to even do that, then we're already being present. Yeah. Back to being yeah. Present. That's, 
that's actually a really good point. I've never really thought about it like that, but that's true. Like once we start seeing, like no, realizing there's a register and we have a choice, right? That, yeah, that makes us more present because we are actively making a choice. Yeah. And that might also, I'm just thinking about this now, you know, we, that might also then be okay with not knowing, quote unquote, because we feel like we're in control because we're making a choice how to listen. So we're able yeah. to go, yeah, not worrying about knowing because we we do know that we want to listen in a certain way, even if yeah. we don't know the content or you know yeah. what wants to be said. Maybe yeah. there's something there too. Yeah, that's Start true. I mean, I yeah, I think we often, you know, we I think listening like I think we're kind of trained to listen to to problem solve. Or maybe, you know, like coming back to the tech industry, maybe that's what, what I'm most familiar with in, in my, you know, in like with my clients. But it's, it seems to me that it's, it's always about fixing, right? I'm listening to you and then I, I help you. You know, I want to be helpful. I want to be useful. So I'm helping you fix your problem. But I think there is a, a, diff- a whole different level that's learning. Learning how the other person sees the world, or make sense of the conversation, right? So, you know, I may be talking about something that isn't a big deal for me, and I'm assuming it's not a big deal for the other person, but for some reason it really triggers them. So there must be some sort of a value that's compromised, right? Or maybe they're having a bad day, who knows? But I want to learn what's going on there. So that's why I, I really like the you know, thinking or choosing listening to learn, right? As we talk about different ways of listening, really learning where they're coming from. So not just what can I learn about my project from this person, but how, what can I learn about how this person views my project or how they make sense of my project, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. And it's also, I mean, in that process, they're also building a relationship. So it goes beyond the content. It goes to the person. And when people feel listened to and felt and heard and valued, then uh, they will work with each other in a much different way than just yeah. on the problem to solve. Yeah, that's a re- that, that, uh, that kind of brings me to... You know, sometimes I get the, you know, the objection that, you know, listening to learn takes so much time. You know, I don't have time. I'm too busy. I have, I, you know, I'm working in 30 minute meeting blocks and I have a whole lot of decisions to make in 30 minutes and I just don't have time. However, just think about, think about a relationship that you have with a coworker who you're working with really, really well. Typically what happens is you make decisions really quickly, right? You like you work together, it's fast, it's smooth. And when there is a disagreement, you feel like you can put it on the table and you can work it out together, right? But to get to that relationship, you need an upfront investment. So yes, it may take five minutes longer to listen to learn, you know, but in the long run, going to make collaboration much faster, much more efficient, much more effective, and much more, you know, res- results producing, more impactful. So, and the other thing is, if you don't listen to learn, or if you don't, li- you know, if you if you don't listen at all, you get to the co- you get to the conflict stage really quickly, right? And we all know 
how slow it goes once there's a conflict. Oh, right. Plus, it's pretty uh, <laughs> um, draining. <laughs> to, I mean, some people like conflict. <laughs> so. Yeah, and I mean, it depends, right? I mean, if, if it's a healthy debate type of right. conflict. I'm talking if, about the one where it just seems yeah, like they're... Yeah. You know, if you're just butting heads and you're completely stuck, I think what happens is in a situation like that, you rather than trying to to make progress you just want to win the argument so if two people constantly want to win the argument of course it's not going to move forward and plus it keeps things at a certain level because it could be that there's actually a solution or something that is even better or beyond yeah. that but if you're only focused on yeah. you know winning and losing you keep yourself yeah. at a level where there might be other possibilities or other ideas yeah. that come out of that mm. and i think that's a good way of illustrating you know, the vulnerability that it requires to really listen, right? Because when you're at a headlock, one of you needs to let their guard down first. And that's the scary piece. That's the vulnerable piece. But that's also the piece that will get you unlocked and that will get you to better solutions. So, you know, a little bit more courage, having a little bit more courage to be the first one to get curious. Yes. It's not about giving up. It's about getting curious. Exactly. Exactly. It's not about deciding I'm going to lose the argument, right? It's about, up, you know, just like... it's about making a courageous step to more impactful leadership. With, and then people say, yeah, but it feels, it's, it's just, I don't have that kind of courage, right? And then courage is also something that you can practice, right? So you can practice in an in a environment that's maybe a little less risky, you know, maybe have a, a, a courageous conversation with you know, with someone who is maybe one of your direct reports or maybe even a friend or, you know, a trusted person. Start there. Start with what seems less risky and build it up. You know, courage can be practiced like a muscle. You go to the gym, you don't start with 100-pound weights, right? Mm -hmm. You start with small weights. And it's the same thing. It's a, it's a practice. And the more you can practice it, the better you get at it. And I, I honestly think it's one of the most important leadership skills in this day and age, getting the courage, you know, to be more vulnerable. Can you tell me why? Because let's call it the old paradigm of the person with the most positional power wins or, you know, the strongest kid in the playground wins. It doesn't work in complex work environments anymore. It's, you know, the, it's never one person that wins now. Like what, maybe, maybe it, they may make it look like it is, right? Mm -hmm. But if you, you know, if you look at, if you look at every single super successful company, like innovative company, it's always an effort. It's always an, an, a team effort. It's always a, it's not like, okay, here's my team and I tell them what to do. It's more about how do I bring all the different strands together, right? That land at my table because I'm the boss. And then how do I enable everyone to, to work together so we can, we can really move things forward? Because in a complex environment, you don't know what the end product is going to be because you're creating it, right? You're creating something new. And as a, as a senior leader, I don't have all the answers anymore, right? And that's where that's the vulnerability part. That's what I would yes. ask you. So what does it mean to look what does it look like or what does it mean to be vulnerable as a leader? Yeah, so it, it means 
not not knowing all the answers and being okay with that, right? It means frequently having to, I don't, you know, I don't know if course correct is the right word, but let's call it navigating, navigating the system, right? <laughs> frequently doing twists and turns, really listening to the opportunities and aligning people in a way. And, and you know, it's, it's hard when you can't really communicate an end goal. I think you can communicate a direction really well. You can say, this is the direction we're going in, and this is why we're doing it, and this is why it's exciting. But if you feel you, the need to have an, a really precise end goal in mind and a 10-step plan, that's what people want. Give me the goal and give me the plan. Yeah. And it uh, requires a degree of vulnerability to say, you know, I might only have step one and two out of my 10-step plan and the other steps will reveal itself over time and we need to work together on uncovering them. That's vulnerable, right? It's also vulnerable to surround yourself with people who may do the job better than you, right? But I think the day and age where you keep people small so that you can shine are long gone, right? There's also vulnerability in noticing noticing your own internal system, right? Noticing when, as a leader, you feel a little off or you feel something's not right here or you feel, okay, I'm actually having a lot of anxiety right now. Not to say to let the anxiety drive you. I think that's what we see a lot. We do. And I think that's, that's anxiety that's where, where leaders are actually not aware that they're anxious. And then they act it out, right? Sensing, you know, there's, there's some, some sort of degree of anxiety. I don't know. Anxiety is a very strong word. I don't know if it's the best word. I don't know if everybody can identify with that. But just okay, sensing that there's something there. Acting, like afraid that things are not going to work out. I don't know if you, yeah. you know. Exactly. exactly. It requires vulnerability to own up to that. And it doesn't mean you have to say it, doesn't mean you have to reveal it, but it, it's important that you become aware of it for yourself. So well, that it does back rule at you. At the beginning of the conversation where sometimes, you know, it's normal, it's no, realizing it's normal that we, everybody feels like they're not maybe competent enough. Um, and so that listening to that might think, oh no, I'm afraid of this. So I must, I, I can't do it. <laughs> yeah. I can't show people I can't do it. <laughs> but, but that's, you know, going on in our minds. Yeah. We don't really know if we can or cannot do it. That's just what we're thinking. Yeah. That's a really good distinction you just made. So the fear of not knowing how to do it doesn't equate to the fact, right? Like it doesn't mean that we can't do it. Exactly. I mean, that's a really great distinction. And I think breaking that, breaking that chain, right, really helps knowing that it's normal. It's normal to feel off maybe, but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be in the role that you're in. Well, you know, I was just thinking um, about the tech world. And so you're bringing all these new innovations in to companies. And then you have people who, let's say, are older, (laughs) where it's harder for them to work with that change. You know, Um, I had some students talk to me yesterday. They're like, well, since it's so hard to change, I think we'll just do our own company. (laughs) We won't go there. I'm like, I don't know if that's that realistic because even whatever you make, well, you'll have to connect with people like that. And going back to um, 
this, this uh, being afraid of not being able to do it. I mean, that also probably impacts even hierarchies, not flat organizations, but also this hierarchies, you know, this middle management that tends to be, you know, the, the stuck area. <laughs> um, yeah. and how to work with that change. And a lot of it has to do with what you just talked about. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's true. I mean, I think it, it works on every level, right? It also works for people who are just new into a company, mm-hmm. right? At the, like, even at the, like, entry level, it's new, it's a new company. That triggers big kind of imposter syndrome alerts. <laughs> <laughs> because so much, so many unknowns, and should I even be here? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you talked a little bit about this, but, um, you know, you were, you were responsible for leadership development at Google. Yes. So that has, this is in a digital technology world. So what about human technology? You mean like using our own internal <laughs> tools? I just wondered if you had any, any, have you had any, if you have any thoughts about that or experiences about that? Well, I have a lot of thoughts about that. Some of it might be a little bit controversial, so. <laughs> Maybe we'll do it for another time. <laughs> no, 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 no. I feel like, what's really so I live in Silicon Valley right so I'm surrounded by like super bright people both in my work and also in my circle of friends uh, with great ideas and and always on always busy always running always devices in their hands coming from wonderful intentions right and I sometimes I wonder you know are we trying to create Things that we already have, have, you know, you think about how can we, you know, how can we get the best device to monitor our energy levels, right? Let's say heart rate monitors, whatever else people wear their little things so they can see how well, how well they sleep every night. Mm-hmm. And then they get so paranoid when their little device tells them, oh, I didn't actually sleep so well which makes it even harder to sleep well the next night. And they start worrying about not sleeping, so they don't sleep because they're worrying about not sleeping. <laughs> so I, exactly. So I'm just using, and, and you know, I'm taking this lightly, right? I'm, I hope I don't sound like I'm judging or pointing the finger, but I you guess I'm just, about it. I'm, I'm using it as a, and, and maybe there's a little bit of judgment in it. I'll, I'll, I'll own it. But the reason why I say it, like I'm trying to illustrate something here where we're, we have a lot of really amazing technology, quote unquote, in ourselves, as in, you know, there is ways you can get yourself to sleep, you know, you can get, you can learn to get still, you can learn to calm whatever keeps you up at night, you know, the crazy 3am spiral of thoughts that's running through your head. Um, There is ways we can actually work with that right by by becoming more present becoming more grounded and finding a practice of stillness that's helping you know and it's not easy and it doesn't always work but i think we're giving a little bit too much we're we're handing over some of our own physical and mental and emotional and relational well-being to technology yeah that's i guess that's what i'm trying to say so paying attention to how that works and maybe we have to give some of it away before we realize that maybe we want some of it back. It could be. Yeah, I think it's, I'm, I'm not against, you know, I'm not against gadgets. I'm, I think, you know, there's definitely, like, I don't want to stop progress. I just, I would like us to 
not forget that we also have a lot of our own wisdom and you know intelligence alone is not wisdom so and and sometimes i wonder a little bit about where is the wisdom you know are we allowing ourselves enough time and space for the wisdom to arise and i don't know you know i think that's something that everybody kind of needs to grapple with individually but i i'm just i guess that the one concern i have is we don't talk a lot about wisdom we talk a lot about you know intelligence and intelligence alone is not going to allow us to be at our best and how do you see the difference between the two words so to me you know if i think about intelligence i think about knowledge and i think about let's say back picture it as buckets of knowledge you have all these buckets of knowledge right that we have and we put in more and more and more because we learn more and more which makes a lot of sense but then i think wisdom is the piece that transcends the buckets that brings everything together you know that's helping us um look at life from a more holistic point of view i think the brain in itself you know with the brain of of course i'm equating with intelligence but i think we also have a heart we have a gut we have a body and i just see a lack of the use of heart intelligence of gut intelligence it's coming you know i can see it come into leadership and leadership development on the fringe but i think we need it more and more i love the the um how you compared the difference between it's like an organizing structure you know mm-hmm. organizing and the other one is about connecting making you know connecting the dots mm-hmm. understanding or connecting to the vision or how different pieces connect something that is more like holding that space for all that knowledge in there so that it makes sense. I mean, there's a lot in life that's not binary, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. (laughs) Or if you think about it from a, you know, think about a leader who has to make a really tough decision and the data, you know, speak like 50, 50, 50% of the data says decide a and 50% says decide B. That's where the wisdom comes in, right? <laughs> yeah. So can you just, just tell me in a few minutes what you, what you have planned now as you listen to your future? You know, I'm very passionate about bringing leadership development. I don't want to say back to some basic practices because that sounds kind of like I want to regress. I don't want to regress. But I, I, I really feel like there's things that are really, really important in leadership and i i'll I'll break it down to four from for myself i i haven't put this out there yet like you you won't see a Catherine o'sullivan leadership model (laughs) you know but what the way i'm thinking about it is four things pay attention listen deeply speak truthfully and act with integrity Hmm. now if i get a silver bullet for this to happen (laughs) that would be awesome (laughs) But I think we all know it's all down to a lot of practice, Mm -hmm. a lot of practice. So I'm hoping I can support leaders in the future in, you know, in, in a way of just working well together and yeah, bringing more wisdom, bringing more wisdom and compassion to technology. That's what I want to do. Well, that would be wonderful. Wisdom and compassion to technology. And, you know, I think there's a lot of people who would really love to know how can that work 
you know. <laughs> and a lot of people are already working on it and doing great work, right? I mean, that's what's so beautiful. And that's what makes me so hopeful too, right? That there really is a, and this is not just from outside, you know, from people like me who, who leave corporation, it's also happening in corporations, right? And, and, and that's really beautiful to see. Thank you. Is there anything else you would like to say? Um, Any other thoughts that come to you right now? I mean, I, yes and no. Like, I don't, you know, I feel like a lot already has been said. Of course, there's so much more. I think what I would just like to boil it down to is just the, the gift of your presence. Don't underestimate the gift of your presence, right? Um, we, I feel like we're often under pressure to, to deliver stuff. And yes, that's important. That would, that's what we get paid for. And it all starts with you and your presence and how you show up. And of course, listening is a big part of that. So, so maybe just go into the next hour with the intention of being fully present, uh, present and see what happens. Thank you. And thank you for your presence. <laughs> I'm your host, Raquel Thanks Art, for your great questions. I enjoyed talking you to you. I hope you were inspired by this yeah. episode of Listen In. And find one person today to practice your listening superpower. Subscribe to this podcast and share it with others for more practical and inspiring stories and examples so that we can catalyze a listening movement together. Find more information at www.listeningalchemy.com. Enjoy listening in.